Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash fright day. We have no pre-roll. We got nothing. No. Well, do you want me to eat some grapes? No. <laughs> I don't want you to eat anything for pre-roll. Hey masticating guys, into the microphone is not Stop saying masticating. Pre-roll. I hate your words. Masticating sounds like masturbating. I don't like that word at all. <laughs> I'm your host, Byron, and tonight, three Detroit thieves in search of a blind man's treasure stumble into so much more, finding themselves trapped and terrorized. We're talking Fetty Alvarez's highly anticipated follow-up to Evil Dead, Don't Breathe. And in the early 80s, young men began vanishing from Indianapolis gay bars and clubs. You asked for it. It's Herbert Ballmeister in a Byron Serial Corner, Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies collaboration. I'm joined tonight by Kelly. Hey, guys. And Sam. Hey. I started something this week. What did you start? Uh, I started rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. Oh, I, man, if we didn't have so many cords and headphones between us, I would lean over and give you such a big hug right now. Oh, you dig it. I was nervous. No. Okay, good. He's Wait, obsessed with that oh, dumb good. shit. It's so cheesy. Bad. It is. It's, it's like the most 90s thing I've seen in so long, but I love it. It's like Firefly except with vampires. Exactly. Well, listen, I have something to admit. Yeah, okay, never mind. Let's keep going. <sighs> no more hugging, huh? All right. Firefly fucking sucks. Don't apologize about I've only not watching seen it. one episode of Firefly yeah. and it didn't grab me. Right, because it was like porn without the porn. The acting was like porn acting. <sighs> okay, anyway, Byron. Soundtrack. It's great. I like that they hang out at the club. I've only seen the first four episodes, but this like nightclub, always great music playing. It's a fun series. I, I stand by that. I think I have a crush on Buffy's mom now. Huh, that's interesting. Am I old? Well, you did turn old. Is this what happens when you turn 30? You start thinking Buffy's mom is hotter than Buff? Look at those mom pants. I don't know what I'm doing. Kelly, you're not a fan of Buffy the Vampire. No. You didn't watch any of that stuff? No. You weren't a WB girl? I mean, I watched... uh, Don't say it. I did not watch Felicity. Okay. I hate Felicity. What about Seventh Heaven? No. Was Dawson's Creek on WB? Yeah. Yeah, I watched Dawson's. That's all right. I do a cover of that theme song. Pretty good one. Yeah, I have it recorded. Of Dawson's? Yeah. Oh, you should cover uh, the Buffy theme by Nerf Herder. Nerf Herder? Yeah. I should probably do that. It seems more on brand I do love Nerf Herder. I'm going to start tearing through that. Good. I'm so glad to hear that, Byron. We have much to talk about then. Freaking hate Sarah Michelle Gellar. She annoys me beyond belief. I mean, the grudge was bad. It was better than Buffy. It wasn't as good as Juwan. Well, our house currently looks like Dexter's workshop. Well, that's sad. Yeah, it's all right. I'm very nervous now. You gave me a look like it was all right. Well, we got all this yeah, plastic well. wrap hanging from everywhere. I was ashamed to not let it go to use waste. You're in the midst Gibberish. of a of a remodel here. We are. Yeah. As part of that, we currently don't have power in half of the studio room up here. and Pretty spooky. Pretty dark. Do you have electricity to your television? We do. What did you watch this week? We watched a movie called The Stranger. I know this movie. Eli Roth produced, is that right? Uh, yes. Huh. Or 
presents. Oh, okay. That's, <laughs> it was. Yeah. I believe it was presents. Okay. How was it? Um, it could have been worse, and it could have been a lot better. The story was actually kind of cool. This vampire dude who comes into town and is he a cowboy? I mean, it's kind of like that. It's kind of interesting. The acting was so bad okay all right but the story was actually kind of cool and it was shot really well but because the acting was the worst thing ever it was not good was it a slow burn vampire Um, it was a subtle vampire i don't know that it was a slow burn we kind of predicted where things were going well in advance of of when they actually happened my major gripe with this movie so it's set in a small American town. A mysterious man arrives in a small American town seeking his wife. Those presents plunges the community into bloodbath. The movie is from Chile. He spends a lot of time down there. His wife's from Chile, Eli Roth. And Aftershock, that movie he produced as well or presented, is also from Chile. Yeah. So I, I think Chile has an incredible culture, beautiful locations. I would love to visit there someday. I think it was a mistake to try to pass off Chile as a small American town. I could see that being a problem. It yeah. didn't. All the little details were wrong. You know, the, the cars were wrong. The lines on the road were wrong. The dubbing was just a little bit off. It, it could have been much, much better had they said it actually in Chile, titled it instead of dubbed it and just had it be um, a, a really cool. Um, Chilean vampire. Film. Yeah, exactly. Which it could have been. It could have been cool. could have been exotic. To, you know, to American audiences, I, I think that would have made it a lot stronger. It kind of made me sad to see them try to ape America, like, you know, like America's the end all be all of, of cinema and everything should be whitewashed American, which um, it clearly shouldn't be. So that's what I would have liked to see them, them go that route with it. The director, Guillermo Almeida, could have really made something special. I just, as a side note, want to throw out to you guys regarding the remodel. Since Sam and our daughter are going to be out of town during the entire week and I'm going to be here all by myself, I don't know if you guys recall that. We had some really weird ghosty kind of things going on here. I'm fully anticipating that I'm going to be in a train wreck state by the end of every week when they get home. Um, So I'm hoping that nothing happens, but then I'm kind of hoping that I have some cool stories to share. You're going to see figures through the plastic wrap all night. Just just nebulous, dark figures, occasional hands pressing up against it. Like I might actually go sleep at Byron's house. My place is far scarier than your haunted house. It's not empty, though. All right. I'm very scared. Speaking of scared. Yeah? Let's jump into tonight's... Uh, Our collaboration B? Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah. It's Byron's Serial Corner. Yeah. Fire emergency. Please don't talk to I'm sorry. They found the bodies of at least three young boys. Six more bodies under the John Gacy house. And- one longtime acquaintance describes Dahmer as one weird dude. Stay tuned for Byron's Serial Corner. Ah. Uh, yeah. So I want to start out by saying, I'm not Kelly. Just bear with me, folks. Herbert Herb. Baumeister. That name might not ring a bell like Dahmer or Bundy or Gacy, but hopefully after tonight that will all change. Known as the I-70 Strangler, Herb was an alleged serial killer from Westfield, Indiana. He's believed to be responsible for the murder of up to 27 
Indianan and Ohioan men between the years of 1980 and 1996. Are you going to break down that 27 for us? Because that's a bit of, I mean, that's that's a it, well alleged. I did contested say it, number. It is a contested number, and I think we'll get there. Okay, good. Still, he's posting some pretty pretty good stats. He's a creeper. He was. Is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. Herbert Richard Baumeister, born April 7th, 1947, to Dr. Herbert E. and Elizabeth Baumeister in a place called Butler, Tarkington, Indianapolis. He was the oldest of four children. Herb Sr., his father, was a World War II vet who graduated from Vienna University School of Medicine, eventually becoming a rather successful anesthesiologist, which is one of my least favorite things. They uh, terrify me. Anesthesiologist? Yeah, every time I get put under, I see these spooky visions. Like one time I had Really? Yeah. Have you ever been put under? Oh, many times. Recreationally. See, I love anesthesiologists. They're my buddies. So when I was a child, I I got put under and seamlessly the doctors turned into these big-eyed kind of ghouls who were making fun of me for liking the Lion King. (laughs) Uh... And then another time I got put under and it felt like there was an electrified net over my body. Okay. So I, I think I have maybe you have some problems. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I'm, the electrified net is just part of it, part it, of the <laughs> anesthesia process. I, don't, I don't like them. They creep me out. They put people under. So uh, soon after the birth of their last child, the Ballmeister clan packed up and moved to the affluent area of northern Indianapolis called Washington Township. Sounds wealthy. Herb developed a macabre interest at an early age and had an almost non-existent ability to distinguish right and wrong. A childhood friend, in fact, recounted an instance in which Herb found a dead crow on his way to school and later dropped it onto his teacher's desk when she wasn't looking. Creeper. I think it's kind of a funny prank. Let's be honest. Wait, was the crow alive or dead? Dead crow. Okay, dead crow. Yeah, but he was obviously frequently disruptive, just a, a general dickhead. He even urinated on his teacher's desk. I don't know if it's the same teacher that he just Poor didn't like. Teacher. But, uh, I feel like most of the brunt of his schooling mishaps were involving desks. And that comes back later in this story, actually. And it sounds like they were directed mostly at authoritative figures. Excellent observation. Just general antisocial behavior. So Dr. Baumeister obviously noticed the bizarre behavior and sent his son away to be evaluated. And it's at this point... Herb, in his teens, he is diagnosed as a schizophrenic with multiple personalities. Oh, great. So they took care of it, right? Um, I mean, not exactly. No. Uh, Some reports vary on how he was treated, if at all. But uh, keep in mind, during this time, electroshock therapy was one of the main treatments for schizophrenia. That's how you got right. And it wasn't even really a treatment. It was more to subdue the patients. But he wasn't really a patient for very long. I think it was a couple weeks. We don't really know what happened, but we do know that he wasn't treated following his release. I don't know if this is because his dad pulled some strings, but this wouldn't be the last time that Herb would be institutionalized. He returned to high school faring pretty well academically, but continuing to fail socially. And in 1965, in an attempt to follow in his father's footsteps, he attended Indiana University. And as many uh, freshmen do, much like myself, he acted like a bit of a fucking weirdo. 
<laughs> you weren't that bad. I B. was terrible. I wore like skinny black everything and had black eyeshadow. I made fun of my teacher for drinking out of a glass jar. I mean, give yourself some credit. It I was... know for a fact you drink out of a glass jar I now. Do. I've seen it. Frequently. It's a large From our glass container. jars. Um, yeah. But anyway, he dropped out after his first semester and with pressure from his father, he went back in 1967 to study anatomy. Really? But he dropped out again. I don't need to go to college. But he didn't come home empty handed. During this academic attempt, he met someone who didn't see him as the creep that he was. Her name was Juliana, a high school journalism teacher and a part-time student. They bonded over mutual appreciation for extremely conservative ideology and the ambition to start their own businesses. Wow, so they were Nazis. <laughs> they were just young Republicans from the reports I read, but yeah, I mean, close. pretty close. And it didn't hurt that her father was a superintendent at the Naval Air Warfare Center, you know, very similar upbringings. In 1971, they were married, but six months in, Herb Sr. had his son committed to Lori D. Carter Memorial Hospital, a state-run mental hospital. So this is where I know Kelly, mm -hmm. there's an MK Ultra elephant in the room. Yeah, I'm so excited because you're actually on my team now, Byron. I'm not on your team. I'm you're just, on I'm just want, team. I want to make sure that we, <laughs> you're, you're drawing team. a lot of conclusions from what Byron so, said. Team. Dr. Herb, they were a rich family. Yeah. There was no reason that he needed to be in a, a state-run facility for two months. Right. And this was in the prime time for uh, at least... Maybe monarch even? Were we there? Mm. 1971? Yeah, there, well, yeah, there was some monarch starting at this time. I actually think it was under a different name, though. I should have my notes in front of me. I don't. That's okay. But this is where things get a little bit fuzzy. Okay. I read everything from Herb driving a hearse for a funeral home, a copy boy at the Indianapolis Star, a liaison to the Indiana State Police, to a, an entry-level position at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. We don't really know what he did after his release. Interesting. I mean, it would seem like if somebody were trying to cover his trail, that there might be some conflicting stories that people would just give up trying to research it, you know? I think I it's mean, more like he's sense. just a bad employee, you know? Interesting. All of these jobs resulted pretty much from his dad pulling strings uh, and resulting in him being fired for being, a quote, weirdo. quote, childlike and overeager, displaying hurt feelings when his expectations for recognition were not met. Mostly a child. What a little dick. He was bossy and overly aggressive towards coworkers and would lash out at them for no reason. So mm -hmm. he's not good with people. One year he sent out a Christmas card to everyone that had a, a picture of him with another man dressed up in drag. It was his business that sent it out. It was his business? Mm -hmm. I thought he sent it out to his co-workers. It did go to his co-workers, yeah. Either way, at this time in, in the 70s, it wasn't really as humorous to dress up in drag with the, your buddy for the cover of a holiday card. Yeah. Um, so this made people think he's just a crazy homosexual man at mm -hmm. this time. This is a little bit of foreshadowing to the person that he would become. Uh, after 10 years at the Bureau, he was promoted, but in 1985, he was terminated for urinating on a letter addressed to Robert D. Orr, Indiana's then governor. I mean, it's just such a weird thing, right? Like, it displays that he's got some pretty crazy-ass issues. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the list of things that it's, that it's okay to pee on is pretty much toilets, urinals, and outside. Was his desk outside? I don't think so. I didn't so. read that, but this year... Eric Rodiger, a 17-year-old white male, was discovered in Indiana, and this may or may not have been Herb's first victim. Ooh. So amidst all this chaos, Herb and Juliana found time to start a family, which grosses me out. Side note, do you know I read something? 
where Julie in an interview said that they had sex less than 10 times during their entire marriage. Well, at least three of the times. Three of the times resulted in a child. Yeah. Marie in 1979, Urich in 1981. I think it's Eric. Eric? I believe it's Eric. I like Urich way (laughs) more. I'm actually going to stick with Urich. Because it's a dumb name. E-R-I-C-H? It's Eric. Okay. Urich it is. And Emily in 1985. Prior to the desk You guys, they're like right around our ages, kind of. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, I could be pals with Emily. Um, uh, Prior to that desk peeing incident I mentioned earlier, Juliana thought the family financially secure enough to just be a stay-at-home mom, which is, I guess, very reasonable with three young children. But once jobless, the roles reversed. Which yeah. is totally fine, like Sam. It's a good gig. It's a great gig. Sam doesn't just stay at home. Oh, he's but a yeah. hard worker. And while Juliana was working, Herb began drinking and hanging out at gay bars. Now that, that sounds a mm. lot more like Sam. Yeah. <laughs> That's a secret that'll come out in episode 150. Which is why Sam's going to live in the woods. <laughs> in September 1985, Herb was charged with a hit and run while being intoxicated. Six months later, a warrant was issued for arrest on charges of theft and conspiracy to commit crime after stealing a buddy's car. He opted to waive his right for a jury trial, which I don't know how common that is. It's dumb. It seems like a bad idea. But during this bench trial, he was found not guilty on all accounts. Yeah. I, mm. I continue to think that his father had a lot more pull than is seen in a lot of the reports. when his father died? I don't, actually. It's not part of my Yeah, I couldn't find it either. I was actually looking for it. There's no way that you could just be let off of all of those charges. I mean, unless he's just a lucky duck. I don't know. In 1988, Herb reluctantly started working at a thrift store, which for this young Republican seemed a bit embarrassing and very much below who he thought he could be. But then he saw potential in that field. He borrowed some money from his mother, which I read somewhere it was $4,000. And then another place that was $350,000, which seems to make a lot more sense. Yeah, I didn't know how he could buy a store with the $4,000, but I saw that number too. It was weird. He opened a thrift store called Save-A-Lot, hyphens between the save, S-A-V-A-Lot, which is kind of fun. And you dumped the E off of save too, so it was a little more... Streamlined. Yeah. And much like John Wayne Gacy, who you all know is the clown killer, he staffed his stores with attractive young male employees. Mm-hmm. He likes, uh, yeah, he's going to get gross. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like every store in the mall. Yeah, except it saved a lot. On the upside, a percentage of the store's profits were given to the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis, which is kind of nice, right? Yeah, but strange, too. It is strange. It's also a little bit... MK Ultra. Oh, weird. 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 In nineteen ninety, the company was growing rapidly and they opened a second store. Within three years, the family went from being dead broke and gay day drinking to mm-hmm. being very wealthy and successful. And in nineteen ninety one they packed up and moved into a four bedroom, five bathroom estate on eighteen point five acres called Fox Hollow Farm. And this is located in the lovely Westfield area, just outside Indianapolis in Hamilton County, Indiana. And it was like a million dollars at the time, wasn't it? Oh, it it sure was. was, And honestly, it's pretty cool. If you look at pictures, remove the whole grisly history of the place, I'd totally live there. The pictures will be up in the show notes of this episode Uh, of Friday.com, which is very convenient. It had a barn, a riding stable, and Herb's favorite, Uh an indoor pool. In the basement. So let's talk about the pool house a little bit. 
Creepy. Uh, although the Save-A-Lot stores had a reputation for being clean and organized, this is not how the Baumeisters maintained their property. Oh, I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. They neglected lawn care and housekeeping everywhere except this pool house. And this is where I would request me to play some fun pool party music. Okay, play some pool. What is pool party music? Sound like? uh, it's playing right now. Oh. Having a great time. Okay. They kept the bar fully stocked and decorated the area with dressed mannequins everywhere to make it look like there's an upscale pool party going down. Wow. Normal stuff that people do. Yeah. Is no, that? That's a, that's a thing. I mean, okay. So now, before we continue this journey with Herb, I need to stop and briefly talk about a man from Terre Haute, Indiana, named Larry Tyler. Oh, I like him. You Do know we like him? Larry? No, 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 we don't. In the mid 1980s, this man confessed to kidnapping, torturing, and ordering the death of as many as 23 victims, claiming that for six of the murders, he worked with accomplices. Among the accomplices, he fingered David Robert Little, who's a professor at Indiana State University. Hmm. And this professor was also Tyler's roommate since 1975. On October 3rd, 1986, he was sentenced to death. And four years later, he said the professor was the mastermind behind the killings, also claiming that he photographed the murders in progress. Oof. He Oof. was administered a polygraph and okay. he passed. I'm going to go ahead and back up. I don't like him. It's a bad call. Okay, bad it's idea. It's a bad judgment of you to jump. Yeah. Search warrants were issued for Little's home and office and a number of videotapes and photographs were seized. He was indicted, brought to trial, but acquitted. April of 1991. Why? How? I don't know. What? Many of these victims disappeared from the same two square mile section of Indiana, which would serve as Herb's hunting ground. It's a lot of pushpins on a map. Hold on just a second, you guys. So I'm hearing a pattern here with some of these deaths. One of the creepiest parts of this whole story to me is the fact that, okay, this was like 20 years ago. Yeah. Like nothing to sneeze at. Like 20 years is a long time, but we're not talking like the 1700s. No. 20 years ago. And apparently nobody gave a shit about these gay people disappearing. It was a different time. 20 years ago. It was like, uh, whatever. We've come a long way. I want you to remember he claims someone videotaped and photographed these murders. Really important. Keep that in mind. Okay. Not long after opening the second store, profits began to dwindle at the Save-A-Lot location. Bad timing. His night drinking shifted to day drinking, obviously, and he would frequently show up at the store drunk and yelling at employees and customers alike, which I think is a fun visual. Can I add to the visual? Yes, please. Okay, so there was something I read. A a guy posted this big, long story. He said that he lived in this town and actually went to high school. He's the same age as, I think, one of the sons. Oh, I love it. He said that Herb would drive around town in this obnoxious... Noxious Land Rover, which is ridiculous in most parts of the country, but especially in like flat Indiana. Like, sure. what are you doing? You're not climbing mountains. You get mud in Indiana. And well, we'll he talk, would wear we'll mud later, too. He wore a Panama style hat Fuck everywhere he went. <laughs> and so he would wander around and just look totally out of place. This one picture that I see of Herb, I think he looks like he's pretty sharply dressed, but I love this new visual. Yeah, it visualize a it. white Land Rover and a Panama hat. The condition of the stores obviously started to resemble the state of his house, which is filthy. Gross. A mess. Poor children. And huh? with a yelling Herb and a Panama hat right in the middle of all of it. Oh, yeah. And, and he, a really dumb wife. Interesting, though. He didn't take that Land Rover to the gay bars. His visits started to increase exponentially at this point. He would return home at night. He'd go into the pool house and he would just cry. So when he went to the gay bars, why do you think it was that he was driving a different car? Hmm, maybe because he was 
doing something wrong. Well, and also, I, was, didn't he have like this weird identity? He tried to pretend like he was. Oh, we'll get there. Okay, we'll get there okay. for sure. All right. At this point, it's fun to think of him weeping in a pool house and his like wife staying awake listening to this weird sadness. Yeah, but he's got three kids. Yeah. How weird is it that their dad is just like driving? Oh, that was the least of the problems that his kids would experience. This is true, but it does make me extremely sad for them. All the same, bills and unknown to his wife, bodies were piling up. (laughs) And Juliana was getting fed up with this behavior. Julia. Julie. It's Juliana. Is it really? I mean, I'm sure Julie's a solid nickname, but. Okay, but it's Juliana. I'll call her Julie. Let's call her Juliana if that's her legit name. Maybe that's why I couldn't find her on Facebook. So shortly after the Ballmeister move, reports of missing gay men in the area began piling up and more and more bodies were discovered throughout Indiana and Ohio. Unfortunately, at this time, like you mentioned, police put very little effort into investigating the murders and disappearances of gay men. Believing so most shitty. of them packed up and moved to the big city. So shitty. Speaking of shitty, 1994, a tough year for Herb. <laughs> <laughs> he was arrested for drinking and driving in Rochester, Indiana, earning him three days in jail and one year probation. Even worse, the middle child, 13-year-old Urich, aka Eric, stumbled upon a human skull while playing in the wooded area behind their home. It was partially buried. He took the skull to his mother, who quickly took it to Herb, he told her that it was his father's skeleton, one that he used in research as an anesthesiologist, and that after cleaning the garage, he buried it in the backyard. Because that makes, first of all, there would be no reason that an anesthesiologist would have a skeleton. There's <laughs> a just no skull. reason. There's no reason. Uh, no. None. Why does your dad have a skull for, for research? And how many things do you bury out of the garage in your backyard, Sam? All right, he's just, he's shaking me up. Honestly, this is one of the reasons I honestly think that Miss Juliana should be in freaking prison because she she is a dumb bitch who let a lot of this happen because here's the thing. After discovering that skull, more people died. All right, we'll get there. And she should be responsible for all of those. She was a little curious about this situation. She went out looking for the rest of the remains. They weren't there. Huh. They had been moved and she thought that maybe they were carried off by a wild animal. I I hate her. She's bad. In June of 1994, Virgil Vandegrift, who is a man that you can say is a good man. Great name. A highly respected retired Marion County Sheriff turned private investigator. Ooh, I love a PI. Contacted by the mother of 28-year-old Alan Broussard. He was missing. What was that noise? Dog sneezes. Oh, okay. Oh my God, that sounded so scary. It was. Later that same week, Vandegrift received another call from a concerned mother with a missing gay son named Ryan Goodlett, 32. The men had similar lifestyles, features, and both vanished on their way to gay bars. Ooh. Vandegrift distributed missing posters at gay bars throughout Indianapolis, interviewing friends, family, and anyone who could talk to him. One of the only pieces of information he got that one victim was last seen getting into a blue car with Ohio plates. No hat. I mean, yeah, I can understand taking off the hat for these things. After a couple of weeks, he received a call from a man named Tony Harris, which is a made up name they gave this man, Mm. claiming to have spent time with the man responsible for these disappearances. He was at a gay club when he noticed a man staring at one of the missing posters of his friend, Roger Goulet. He knew that this man must know more by the way he was looking at this poster. Tony introduced himself to the man who said his name was Brian Smart. Brian Smart. That's a fake name. It's kind of a dumb fake name. It's a fake name. Brian Dumb. Yeah. It's better. He claimed to be a landscaper from Ohio, and at the end of the night, Smart invited Harris to join him for a swim 
at a house he was temporarily living in. Oh, a swim. That sounds refreshing. And if I remember correctly, Harris said specifically that the way that Smart reacted to the discussion about his missing friend he was very clear. It. Like He was saying words that, like, I care about that this guy oh, is gone. Terrible. Right. But it was super obvious and transparent that he really couldn't care less. He quickly changed the subject. Yeah. Which is, I think, a smart move, Brian. Smart. You know, it wasn't a smart move. Getting into this big blue Buick with Ohio mm-hmm. plates. They Not drive right. up to an area in northern Indiana he was unfamiliar with. Somewhere with a split rail fence and a sign that could partially be read as saying farm. Ooh. That narrows it down in, in the Midwest. It's very true. Good point, Sam. Good Thanks. point. So, yeah, we did an ooh and Sam's like, oh, let's just be rational. Here. Yeah, shut up, Sam. Farm. Inside the house, he described it as being cluttered with boxes and furniture. They walked into the pool house. Fully stocked bar, full of mannequins. (laughs) After some loosening up, Smart discussed his interest in... Who the fuck doesn't just run? Like, they see these mannequins everywhere? It's pretty fucked up. It had a fully stocked bar. He was loosening up. They were loosening up. Within this loosening up, Smart discussed his interest in autoerotic asphyxiation, uh, which is receiving pleasure from choking or being choked or having air cut or restricted during intercourse or masturbation. Herb, I mean, Brian, at this point, Mm -hmm. asked Harris to choke him with a hose while he masturbated. And he did this. After some loosening up. A little bit of loosening up. I should point out that... Surrounded by mannequins. That he didn't drink any drink made by smart which i think is a smart move so why like the is one he smart there i mean he was pretty drunk at the bar but i heard him say that the reason that he went was literally to find out more because he's so convinced that this guy's i don't buy it that sounds like it's something you say after you find out the person you're hanging out with right and you feel really dumb because you're like huh oh the poster reaction should right. have triggered me mannequins should have made me run the whole choking him blue buick yeah, yeah but nope at this point Brian says it's his turn. And Harris goes along with this, but quickly realizes within this hose choking that Brian has no intentions of stopping this. Yeah. He pretends to pass out, which is kind of a clever move. It was a smart move. Brian released the hose when he went limp. Harris opens his eyes and Brian, a.k.a. Herb, obviously freaked the fuck out. He's like, what? What? I thought you were dead. (laughs) Which is fun. It's not fun. I mean, it wasn't a murder. Well, this wasn't, though. Right. True. He drove him home after this, which is, he, he was an extremely lucky man. Yeah, no double jeopardy. You survive it once, can't do it again. This is the same process that Herb used to kill handfuls of his other victims. He would lure them back to the house, right. strangle them with a hose, and then bury their bodies in the backyard. Yeah, but wouldn't he like pull them apart and chop them up sometimes too? And uh, like a practicality standpoint, a hose is not a very good, like, like it's a garden hose. It's got I a little assume. bit of give, yeah. I mean, something small, like, like a ligature of, of some kind would be... It would make more preferable. Sense. So intoxication, relocation, strangulation, mm. and I couldn't think of another rhyming word to describe burying the remains of a body in a backyard at Fox Hollow Farms. That's a little thing I came up with. Well, that's good. In 1995, Tony Harris bumps into Brian Smart once again, and he was able to jot down the license plate on that blue Buick. The police ran the plates, which came back as belonging to, you guessed it, Herbert Baumeister, the owner of the Save-A-Lot franchise. When police arrived asking to search their premises without a warrant, Julia and Herb refused, obviously, because that would have been dumb to say, sure, why not? Got a bunch of gay bodies. 
Detective Mary Wilson, who'd been working closely with Vandergriff, the PI, actually went to Save-A-Lot to talk to Herb, informing him that he was the suspect of an investigation for several missing men, and that she would really appreciate, obviously, looking at this property. He refused. Wilson then went to his wife. Ooh. It was kind of a shock when she found out that he was being investigated for the missing uh, people because he had told his wife that he was being falsely accused of theft. A little bit different than the story. But guess what? She bought it. She just didn't care. She is the dumbest. She said they, they couldn't search the property and she, although shocked that he... I don't even... Honestly, she should be in jail. She just should be. Herb's spiral continues. Both Save-A-Lot's clothes. Because he just drinks and rants at customers. I think that we can safely assume at this point that he just kind of sucks at life. Yeah, he continues crying in the pool house. She's yep. bad at everything. And uh, the thoughts of that bizarre skeleton and failure of her husband became too much for Julie. At this point, she comes to her senses and decides to file for a divorce, seeking the full custody of her three kids, which I want to say again, three kids. Yeah. This whole time. Yeah. It's really tough really hard well and like like even okay even if she had no regard for other human life about her kids how do you not get your kids out of this situation much before this she's figuring it out yeah while herb is on vacation with eric nice at the lake condo oh yeah p.s she lets her son go on vacation with her crazy psychotic husband at this point we i mean Everything's kind of coming to a head at this point. I think that I hates her. They're at this lake condo owned by Herb's mother. While they're away, Juliana calls detectives and agrees to a full search of the house. On June 24th, 1996, the search, if you could call it that, begins. Yeah. Just feet from the patio, detectives clearly see what appeared to be small pebbles across the backyard where the children had played. Small pebbles. Uh, were they teeth? They were bone fragments and teeth. Yeah. A lot of them. During the initial search, which lasted a few days, they recovered 5,500 fragments and teeth belonging to four victims. Ugh. That's wow. gross. That's a lot. That's so that's a many. commitment to pulverizing. Yeah. So <laughs> many. Commitment to pulverizing sounds like a carcass song. Yeah, I agree. Many of the victims had been concealed under piles of leaves and garbage. Uh, a second search prompted by Ballmeister's neighbor, who informed the police uh, that they discovered skeletal remains near a drainage pipe separating the two properties. Bad neighbors. When police arrived, they immediately noticed several somewhat intact skeletons protruding from the muddy ground. So, above all, Herb was fucking lazy. Yeah, he really was a lazy well, I think SOB. it got worse when he started drinking, obviously. It always does. That's why Dahmer got caught. Yeah. Uh, 140 more bones. Intact rib cages and vertebra from seven additional bodies were found in this location, along with many cans of Miller Genuine Draft, which was his favorite drink. So awkward. Weird. <laughs> what was Jeffrey Dahmer's beer of choice? Old Milwaukee? Was it? I don't know. Something like that. But and a lot of connections cheap vodka. Here. So they determined the bones were from 11 men, but were only able to identify four victims. Roger Allen Goodlay, 34. Stephen Hale, 26. Richard Hamilton, 20, and Manuel Resendez, 31. Resendez. It's kind of fun. So when the bones were discovered, Juliana obviously was distraught and remembered that her son was on this vacation with Herb. Under the circumstances, she was granted full custody and authority sent out for Eric 
but didn't arrest Herb for some reason. Well, I mean, why would you? I mean, there's just a thousand bones. We really 5, need to talk to his 5, kids 000. before we... Uh, we're not going to talk to this man's children. They've been through enough. Yeah, I guess. While searching Fox Hollow Farm, police discovered a video camera hiding in a corner of the pool house where Weird. Herb had committed multiple murders. Weird. Despite huh. no tapes being found, police believe this camera was used to record the deaths of his victims. Sounds familiar. Still away on vacation, Herb contacted his older brother. Interesting choice, I feel like. I mean, you got to call someone. By this time, he had caught wind that corpses were being discovered on his brother's <laughs> property. That spreads fast, usually. Herb's brother informed him that local police wanted to have a little chat regarding the bodies uncovered Weird. on his property. Uh, having run out of lay options. Low, it'll blow over. You know, he decided... Just that. He uh, escaped to Canada, the best place to go for pretty much anything. I mean, I guess. July 2nd. Didn't end well for him, but. I don't know if this is true. I read something that quickly after this call was made, Herb's brother was found face down in a hot tub. So Herb's brother died? That's. Oh, interesting. Government. MKUltra. <gasps> God, I love that. I don't know. July 2nd, a Canadian police officer found Herb sleeping in his car near Ontario Park. Ballmeister told the trooper he was a tourist who was just passing through and had stopped to get some rest. The trooper observed a number of items in the car, including an overnight bag, envelopes, newspapers, piles of unidentified papers, and what appeared to be videotapes. Police did find Herb again, this time in the park at the water's edge, with a 357 Magnum bullet hole in his head. Mm. His car had been emptied of all personal things. And there's a suicide note. Suicide. Suicide. He did a suicide. Uh, a suicide note found bizarrely addressed to attention Canadian authorities. It's not very specific. I mean, right. there are several Canadian authorities. It was three pages long explaining his reasons for taking his own life were due to his problems with the business and his failing marriage. There was yeah. no mention of the murdered victims or the bones. Asshole. I guess it's your last fuck you, maybe, right? It's, it's certainly what it sounds like. Oh, uh, or he just legitimately was not sorry for it, is what it sounds that like. very much could be. A search of the area yielded no evidence that Herb had disposed of any of the items in his possession the night before. The videotapes spotted in the car were never found, and it's believed that he ditched them maybe in a river before committing suicide. Huh. But... No one knows. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's unlikely we ever will. Yeah. With Juliana's help, investigators of the Ohio murders, which I mentioned, I don't know if I did mention that, there had been a string of bodies being found in Ohio and Indiana. Right. Just being dumped. The I-70 killer. Exactly. Uh, it's very possible that he was heavily involved with the I-70 murders. Or completely responsible. Or 100% responsible for the Indiana-Ohio I-70 murders. Yeah, the bodies stopped showing up as soon as they bought Fox Hollow Farms. Weird. I mentioned Eric Rodiger earlier, and while it was never confirmed that he was one of Herb's victims, he's suspected of killing many, many more who fit that profile, like I mentioned. Ooh. And according to Julie, Herb took 100 or more trips to Ohio on store business. Yeah. Could Herb have also been the videographer in the Larry Tyler professor murders? Mm. Very possible, but he blew his brains out next to some water, and we'll never know. Well, I'd like to jump in here with some things about his death scene that I find to be slightly more supernatural than right. what you've led on to. Let's hear it. Or at least interesting. So there were no footprints leading up to, away from, anywhere around 
where his body was found. His body was also found on this weird, like, mounded up pile of dirt, almost like an altar. Like, it was very strange. Wait, really? Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah, it's really, really strange. And the gun was not found immediately near him. Huh. Like, it was in the vicinity, but it wasn't, like, shot himself, dropped it. Well, how powerful is a gun, Sam? Well, a gun is, you know, it's relatively powerful. <laughs> could, it, could it blow a bunch of feet away from a body after shooting into a head? No, I wouldn't think so. All right. I mean, yeah. Maybe. I'm just saying it's a little bit interesting. If you are jogging full speed before you shoot yourself in the head. And the, the gun falls and your body carries on farther. But it wasn't. He was like laying sprawled on this weird dirt altar mound thing want to hear something interesting as well yeah that i left out because it's conspiracy theory nonsense Oh, okay after his death they sent someone to go get palm prints of him mm-hmm. sent a, a technician up to canada mm-hmm. and they got all the way back to the flight before realizing that that palm print was smudged and unidentifiable unusable so they sent that same person back to get another one mm-hmm. and they came back and they're like, oh, shit, it's fucked up again. So they sent the same person up one more time. Wouldn't you hire a different person I would point? hope so, because this person is not doing well. No. We find something else for you to do. But yeah. by the time they got up there, guess what? What? They burnt the body. Oh, my God. Wow. See, it is conspiracy. Something, it is not. Something freaking weird just as shit is I going on. You can never, never underestimate human incompetence. It's That something as weird is going on. Everyone yeah. in the story is massively incompetent. No, the wife is the worst. I think she's worse than Herb. You think she's worse than a man that murdered up to 20? Yes, because she was supposed to be this nice person. She was never said to be a nice there person. There were people that died after she found that freaking skull. That blood is on well, her hands. She's stupid. Dumbest ever. All right. God, hate her. So aside from his weird alterish death. Yeah. And I really do think this is something that's overlooked. Maybe it's because there's not a ton of records since it was in Canada. Maybe it's because things are being covered up. I really appreciate the story about the smudged palm prints oh, because, mm, yeah, there's some. It's fishy. Super fishy. Moving away from the conspiracy end of things and more into the ghost end of things. It's time for Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Well, after hearing all those horrible things that Mr. Baumeister did, it's pretty understandable that his gorgeous property, Fox Hollow Farm. That's what we're going to say, gorgeous, smart wife. Well, his wife deserves to be in prison. The property sat empty for a very long time. People were pretty creeped out by what happened. Eventually, the price continued to drop and drop and drop. And then this family, the Graves fun name that was fun i like the graves moved in they're actually very nice i've watched a lot of interviews with them they're real normal run-of-the-mill fam husband wife two sons the house had been completely redone at this point supposedly all the bad stuff had been removed what like bones and teeth well i mean from like the inside like they gutted the place and like remodeled it and yes supposedly the bones have been removed from the property although because of the nature of the property it's really hard to say that there will ever be all the bones removed especially because they don't even know how many bodies they're looking for there it's pretty creepy yeah but the kick-ass pool is still there oh that's tight yeah it's still there mannequins no the mannequins had been disposed of that's a good idea yes they've seen some terrible things those real estate agents knew what they were doing they got rid of the mannequins fast (laughs) I bet they had a fun conversation about it, though. They're oh, staring at him go, God. I think we can make this work. Oh, God. And so someone creepy. Goes, someone yeah. goes, no. You know, this place is already staged. Oh, God. It's horrible. <laughs> so Rob and Vicky Graves, 
shortly after they move in with their two sons, they start experiencing some really weird things. One of the first things that happens, happens to poor Vicky as she's trying to clean up around the pool. We're going to let you guys listen to it in Vicky's own words here. So that's pretty freaky. A bit. Then poor Vicky comes home one day. She's talking to Rob, who's been painting, and sees behind him there's a man with a red shirt just standing in the yard. She, like, freaks out. She's like, what the hell? He turns to walk away, he being the guy in the red shirt. And suddenly she realizes that he doesn't have legs. And then he disappeared. one second. Yeah. The top half of his body is just floating. And then he just disappears altogether. Hover ghost. He was a hover ghost. Cool. Pretty scary. Rob at first is like, "Uh, that's weird. Wonder if my wife's okay. She sees this same red shirted fella a couple of times. What color hat? Not hat. No style hat. hat. No, just red shirt. All right. Okay. I think later they come to believe that his name is Alan, but that's another story. Rob is working at a car dealership and one of his colleagues has a really, really long commute and keeps showing up late for work. And Rob's trying to help a buddy out. They've got this big mother-in-law apartment on the property. And he's like, hey, Joe, come move in here. Nobody's using it anyway. Be great. Joe LeBlanc comes and moves in with his dog, Fred. And poor Joe becomes witness along with Vicky to a lot of the madness that's happening on this property. Um, we're going to play a clip in Joe's words of one of the things that happened to him.
So if that wasn't enough, poor Joe also hears unexplained knocking at the door of his little apartment over and over and over again. It's happening all the time. One time he opens the door up and looks outside. There's nobody there, but the door knocker is like up as he opens the door. It falls like one last time. I don't know how weird that is. It's pretty weird. If you touch something that's stuck up, it's going to come down. No, it wasn't stuck up. It's like a loose door knocker. And it was just like in midair when he opens the door and then it just falls the rest of the way down. Creepy. Okay. One night he's awakened by somebody knocking on his door again. Calls out to see who it is, gets no answer, but he actually puts his hands on the panels of the door and can feel it vibrating. So it's not just like some weird noise that he's hearing. He's like actually feeling it too. Never gonna leave you up. Never gonna. It's that, that song echoing in the. I can't even remember that man's name right now and it's breaking my heart. It's Rick's, right. Isn't it Rick something? I don't know. Rick. God. Rick Roll? Yeah, it's, no. it's the Rick Roll guy. No, it's not. It's hurting me now that I don't know that. Can you play that song? No, it might. Okay. 80s music vibrating the windows. So he sees the doorknob twisting and vibrating violently for whoever's trying to get in. Finally, the sound stops. And then seconds later, the door bursts open. Wood chips fly everywhere. Like that scene in It Follows. Joe's like, what the? So he runs out the door to see what the hell is out there. Sees nothing, but then turns to come back in and actually sees a man inside his apartment. And the man is just screaming at the top of his lungs, trying to run. So then the guy disappears. At this point, Joe's convinced, okay, this has to be one of Baumeister's victims. Like, that's the only thing that would make sense. So he's a little bit less terrified by the ghost at this point because he's like, okay, well, it's just a guy that's trying to get away, apparently. So he and Vicky start doing some research into like the history of the Baumeisters because they knew generally what happened, but it's not like they it was dug a widely into the publicized story at the time. Right. But it's not like they had dug into all the nitty gritty details. So they start digging in and they start looking through pictures of the victims. And all of a sudden they come across one of the pictures and Joe's like, holy shit, that's the guy that was in my freaking apartment. That's him right there. Pretty scary. And when you think, I mean, if you have any inclination to believe in ghosts or whatever they might be, leftover energies... A place where this kind of stuff happens seems like kind of a prime location. You mean the place where maybe 11 or more men were strangled Died to death? violently and young? Yeah, well, witnessed at, at this location, mannequins? it was at least 11, but it could be as many as 18 at it this really location. Could. Yeah. So that's pretty scary. Joe's swimming in the pool one day with uh, one of his friends. God, that does gross me out. I would about... never go in that pool. Like, why would you ever go in that pool? No. Yeah. No. Like, like I mean, you can drain a pool. No, you, you know, can't you drain can, that. But you can't drain out that. Nope. He feels hands around his neck choking him in the pool. His friend sees him freaking out and Joe finally gets free and jumps out and like orders his friend out of the pool. He's like, we're not coming in here again. This is horrible. And then eventually Fred, his dog, actually found a femur in the woods. Again, there's no way that all the bones have been found. No, so, there's bones everywhere yeah. in that mud. So they turned it over to authorities and it didn't match any of the existing identified victims yet to be identified. But it is human. It is human. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I know you guys are going to poo-poo this, but to end up the uh, haunted segment of this serial killer story... I'm going to play a significant portion of Spirit Box recordings by... I, hate, I do hate Spirit Boxes. I, do I know. They are, they are bullshit. I For the know. people. What it, is a Spirit Box? It's a mirrored cube? Well, no, 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 oh, no. Oh, no, it's a cube with mirrors in the corner of no, the No, this cube. is like huh. where you hear things out of it. Wait, what? what? What am I thinking? It's set up. It's kind of set up like a radio, I think. It's a little electronic box that has pre-programmed verbalizations oh, of, of like thousands of different 
common words in them. Okay. And they cycle through them really rapidly, and the spirits can allegedly stop it when it gets to a word that they want to use. So it talks. Yes. Like I was thinking this. the devil's box. Yeah, you are thinking the devil's box. Which is equally stupid. Oh, just This ask. is from the Society of the Supernatural. They streamed it live just a few months ago, you guys, on the eve of my birthday, March 15th, 2016. They've got about two hours of recordings. We're and not going to play, play all, all two them, hours, right? but I'm going to play some. Hey, and the rest it of it will be up at Friday.com in the show notes of this episode. You bet, you bet, you bet, you bet, you bet. All right, let's rock this thing. All right, guys. Just said her when you turn the phone. What? What? Here. What is that? Here. Who else is here with us? Wow, that's a really creepy voice from Ben. Hey, Who's talking to us? Watch how it's screaming. Do you have a name? Yeah. I can't do this thing. This thing will act right. Heard yeah, and then there was something else. What's your name? Man, man, man. He's a man. He's man. How many men? Local? How many local men? One of seven. That's the 107. Murder. Was there 107 victims, yes or no? Who answered that question? Spooky stuff. Yeah, so, kind of. Just yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's silly, silly stuff. You could play that thing all the time, and it would be spooky. Maybe I don't want to. I wouldn't do that. I'll tell you what. I wouldn't want one in my house while I'm going to be alone for the next friggin' month. God. Anyhow, I think there's a very interesting story here, and you know, you look at serial killers. I actually read this really interesting article after the shooting in Florida. What I find interesting is there is a long history of serial killers that seem to be self-hating homosexual men. Dahmer 
and then John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy, Herb. You look at the guy that did the shootings in Florida, and it was interesting because that started this pretty detailed retrospective some investigators went into about him kind of fitting the same profile. It's just he did it very publicly rather than a private serial killer kind of deal. For some reason, I'm certainly not as well versed in serial killers as you, Byron, but mm-hmm. I had never heard of her Baumeister. In reality, until I, started, I hadn't either. See, there you go. Until I started searching for ghost serial killers so that we could do a collaboration. I would say that it's an MK Ultra cover-up, but they say Dahmer was also programmed. Which oh, of course I, he was. Of course, don't believe. But you do. But you have to, you keep saying that because you're sitting next to Sam, but you do. I don't, though. I it's okay. I can. I know. You You don't have... It's okay. Byron, I got you. I, I understand. Thanks, Sam. So maybe we'll have to do this again, Byron. This is kind of fun. It was kind of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, yeah. I actually do highly recommend... <laughs> That you listen to the full two-hour Spirit Box recording because there's some really interesting shit in there. And Byron, thank you so much for the report. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It was your really report. great. Yeah, Byron, that was that. fantastic. Oh, Nicely God. done. It was wonderful. Kelly, good good work. notes, Byron. I good execution. Best. Hey, thanks. I no pun it. intended. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, are you okay? I'm fine. Byron's broken. Byron. If you guys enjoyed this, maybe we'll do it again in the future, or maybe it'll be a Patreon reward. I don't know. I don't know how much I can do this. I had a rough week. It's, it's a lot. I it know. Is a, it is tough. It uh, hurts. Let, let us know what you thought about that at Friday on Twitter. I'd really appreciate it. Oh, man. Don't breathe, Byron. I, I, I struggle sometimes, especially yeah. when there's a bunch of kids sitting behind you yelling. Yeah. I'd like to talk about it. Okay. Let's explain why we're not going to go to theaters anymore. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk Don't Breathe and terrible theater etiquette. you're enjoying your visit here this evening now on with the show don't breathe is a 2016 american horror thriller directed by fetty alvarez sam could you tell us what this movie's about rocky alex and money are three detroit thieves who get their kicks by breaking into the houses of wealthy people money gets word about a blind veteran who won a major cash settlement following the death of his only child figuring he is an easy target the trio invades the man's secluded home in an abandoned neighborhood Finding themselves trapped inside, the young intruders must fight for their lives after making a shocking discovery about their supposedly helpless victim. Yeah. But before we get there, I'd like to say I haven't been this close to assaulting people. They were awful. Oh, man, this was a rough. And they're always right behind you. Maybe they look at my face and go, he won't do anything. How close was that bag of popcorn to your ears, Byron? Maybe, I'm glad you noticed, sir. When a man is just rattling a bag of popcorn next just, to like, my head. Just like compulsively shaking a bag of popcorn. Man, I gave him a lot, you yes. know? Did you guys see? I turned around and did like a full like 30 <laughs> seconds, super awkward, like that just bothered me. stared. Were they looking Made at me you? uncomfortable. Were they yeah, looking they were at looking you? at me and they just kept going... What? And I'm just what? like a bunch of youngsters. Mm-hmm. I turned 30 this week and all, now I'm the old man. And they're already on your Mr. lawn. Mr. Wilson. Oh, God. I did a similar thing during the, the Evil Dead premiere where mm. I yelled at the two, two kids behind no. me. No. 
I didn't say this? No. These three volunteers at South by Southwest during the world premiere of Fetty Alvarez's first movie, The Evil Dead Remake, they're just talking. They're saying, this is going to be so scary. I can't wait. I'm going to be like, whoa, the whole time. And they're saying that. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is not going to be awesome. <laughs> it's not shaping up well. So I, I decided, I said, I need to get this out of the way. The second they say something during the movie, I'm going to turn around. Cut it off right I'm away. Stop it. Cut Shut off the it head down. The, the movie starts. I'm on edge, obviously. And one of them leans over. Something like that. Very quiet. Right. Normal theater etiquette. I snap. I say, this movie is really important to me, so I'd really appreciate it if you didn't talk during it. It was embarrassing. Oh, good job. That's no, really funny. It was embarrassing and terrible. I'm sorry. Similar to this week's experience at Don't Breathe where I said, come on, man. Could you please stop shaking your popcorn? And then he leans down next to my head and goes, what'd you say? This is a 15-year-old man. Yeah, roughly. Man. Yeah. Roughly. I said, could you please rat stop rattling your popcorn? What do you think I said? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, I, I, I shouldn't have said sorry. I wasn't. But that's You're okay. just pre-programmed to, to apologize. Yeah, that's we're okay. close enough to Canada that it just slips out sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, on, it's on your product. Beyond all this etiquette madness, I think we saw a pretty good film. What are your thoughts on Don't Breathe, Kelly? Okay, so as you guys know, this is a movie that is not my style. There are no paranormal elements to this movie. All right, spoiling it, but well, it's obvious. Everybody knew that, yeah. Yeah. But I was still excited because it had gotten really, really strong reviews. It debuted at South by Southwest. It was the untitled Fetty Alvarez movie. Right. It was a surprise. Right. You go into the movie, and one of the first things that surprised me was the almost spoiler alert at the beginning of the movie, the scene that it opens with, I'm like, what? The opening scene is, which this is not a spoiler because it's literally the opening scene, okay. is our old blind man dragging Rocky by her hair down the street. It's a little bit of a... I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And I kind of like the movies that like show the end and then rewind and show us what up led up to it. Do. I you... love that style. Yeah. It makes me happy. Well, and then we start getting into these characters. So we've got Rocky and Alex and Money. First of all, from the beginning, you don't give a shit about Money. Jane because... Levy, star of Evil Dead, is back. And she was really good. Is Rocky. I liked her a lot. She reminds me of the girl that's in The Innkeepers. I don't remember her name. Sarah Paulson. Nope, not Sarah Paulson. That's her name. Sarah Paulson is the girl that's in American Horror Story. Oh, they have the same name. Do they really? Seriously? Well, anyhow, it reminded me of her. I liked her a lot. Paxton. Sorry. I was going to say, there's no yeah, way it's Paulson. close. Sarah Paxton. I love her. And I thought that Jane Levy was very, very good in this. They did a great job early on getting some investment in the characters without wasting too much time. So you get a little bit of backstory about our character Rocky and her shit home life. You really are rooting for her because of it. You get Alex, who also seems to have kind of a depressing backstory because they live in, They're in Detroit, Detroit. So everybody I mean, has a depressing It's a depressing right? location. And then you get no backstory on money and therefore do not give a fuck about him. And I really liked that setup. It's fun. Yeah. I liked I don't, it a I don't lot. like money, but no, I think you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. I think that's very intentional for the way that things unfold later in the movie. No yeah. wasted time no wasted getting time, started, which I really like. But solid acting, solid character development without wasted time, which mm -hmm. I, I mean, they did a great job 
Fetty did a great job of balancing between getting us invested and not killing half of the movie by doing so. Yeah, it was a good clip. Yeah, I really liked it. I really liked it. There were some twists that I think we are not going to talk about in the movie. Absolutely not. And even Fetty asked us not to, by the way, on Twitter. Yeah. Hashtag don't spoil, don't breathe. Yeah. 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 Asked everyone. Not 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 just just us. us. I love twists. You guys know me. I was surprised by them. I was invested in the characters and the story as it went along. You guys are sure going to talk about the more technical elements. I'm always just very much the story person and the acting person. Like to me, that's what it's all about. I thought the story and the acting were tremendous. I really liked this movie about as much as I can like a movie that doesn't have paranormal elements. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. It seems like your daughter is awake right now. It is. So I think you're going to bounce? I am going to bounce. I'm sorry, guys. What, what would you rate this movie real quick? What would I rate it? Yeah. I'd or to actually it. just text it to me when you're down there. Okay, I was going to say, because I can tell you. Okay, Don't cool. I'll text you. All hey, right. Hey, Thanks, guys. Say goodbye. Bye. All right, Sam, let's get to business. Ah, the grown-ups are gone. Every ah, single time that I've off. used the word... What? The pants are coming off? I'm sorry. Yeah, Mom. What's mm-hmm. going on? Yeah, never mind. Every time I've said the... Bye. Every time I've ever used the word tension in describing a movie. I've been fooling you and fooling myself. This movie hurts the whole time. It absolutely grabs all the parts of your body responsible for breathing and circulation. Mm, yeah, that noise the whole time. Too, yeah. By the way, a lot of fun sound design. Let's get into the technical elements. Yeah. It goes from like pure silent to actually vibrating, not yeah. only in audio, which that you do need to see this in theaters, by the way. Yes. Sound is unreal, but on screen it vibrates too in specific moments of high pressure and it's great because it adds the elements of sound as the blind antagonist it's all he has yeah feel and hearing yeah so it really elevates that sense to the importance that it would exhibit for someone in that circumstance with no vision everything is is amplified creaks on the floor opening doors yeah it really adds to the idea that you know we're stuck in this and our, our lives could depend on any any noise and it's interesting because there's no real dramatic lock-in you know what i'm saying like yeah i think they're more cornered by the fear of being heard than the actual lockdown scenario i feel like a lot of movies like metal like gate slides up or something and they're like yeah, trapped they, they sm- smack a panic button and everything just locks down instantly these are like padlocks that are being hand locked and he nails a board over a window yeah it's gradual but they have no control over the situation because if they reveal themselves to this blind man they're going to be murdered yeah maybe strangled kind of like herb did like you know herb. It, it, it looked great too oh my god there were some really cool things and i always do this the conjuring 2 had a great floating intro shot yep so did this one but it did a really great job of pinpointing some things that you need to pay attention to later in the movie some really great foreshadowing throughout which is fun it zooms in on a safe it zooms in on a lock a hammer a hammer which very fun yeah and i think that's a great nod to classic horror where don't breathe is definitely has subtle elements but it was a great I think, like I said, a throwback to some of the the great slashers where you know, oh, wow, you know, there's something sharp on the wall of the shed. Someone is going to get decapitated Keep your with eye that. On well, and, and speaking of throwbacks and influences, I, I caught a couple things. There's a scene that is very much like Cujo. It could have been very much pulled yes. exactly from Cujo. Also, The Burning, which is an underrated slasher that I don't know if you've seen. I still haven't, but I know the exact scene you're talking about. 
let's just say the weapon of choice by the killer in the burning. It makes an appearance. Which is great. It means that Fetty loves horror. He took the concept of Evil Dead, but was still limited by the premise of Evil Dead, you know? In this movie, he was able to do something that was purely his, and I think he did a really great job. I, I guess I was really impressed by the cinematography, making that house seem both as close and as claustrophobic as it did, but also being this vast location where there was plenty of room for things to happen in without ever seeming like, oh, wow, this house is actually much bigger than it appears on the outside. I mean, it, it seems like it's the right size inside, but the way it's shot gives a lot of room for the action to develop. In reality, that first floor is just not that big. You no. know, there's a, a shop right off of the living room that is comes into play at significant points. And a kitchen, which does as well. Just a couple bedrooms upstairs, too. It's yeah. great. I, I mean, And you know what else there is? What, Sam? There's a basement. There is a basement. Uh, we are probably not going to talk about the basement, right? I, I think we owe it to people not to. This is a film that benefits from seeing it in the theater as soon as possible and going in blind. Yeah, don't learn anything about this movie because... Again, not giving like going, anything going away. Going in blind, sorry. That, there, was, that was good. Going in blind. Oh, so, going in blind. Oh, I totally missed that. That was excellent. Okay. I'm you. sorry. That's fine. Um, I don't know. I'm just really, really stuck on going in blind. I know. I'm so sorry. Good. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> um, pointing that out. But the, the plot developments, I don't want to call them twists because I think that really cheapens. It does cheapen it. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan does twists. These are some extremely compelling, shocking plot developments that just come at you out of left field. It's a competent director knowing how to manipulate the audience. And it's not done in such a way that you feel taken advantage of or manipulated. There's specific things that happen in this movie. It just comes together for everyone in the audience at the same time. You know, sometimes people get the twist in advance, but I think that this movie is an honest film where everyone is right there with you. Yeah. And when it happens, everyone feels that oh fuck moment. Yeah. And, it, you know, it makes sense right away as it's exposed, but at the same time, you never, ever see it coming. At least, I don't think any of us did. Emotionally, when the turns happen in this movie, it's not like a snap of the finger moment. It's like something washing over you. And like you a bass drop. Your gut falling to the ground. You're going, oh, no. It's funny because it is a cat and mouse story, but each one of the set pieces, escape, evasion, capture, escape, they play out very sincerely. It's not, oh, wow, I landed on the floor. And then I, as he's dragging me away, I see that there's actually a gun underneath the couch and I'm going to grab it and shoot him. It's a scenario that would be, you know, totally plausible if, if you found yourself in it. I, I don't want to go too deep into this. Any final thoughts, Sam? Stephen Lang as the blind man, oh that's God. what he's credited as, the blind man, was just a seething pot of silent rage when he does talk and isolated for so long, his voice just sounds like it's coming from a broken robot. Which I think is one of the only points where I was like, I know that's a bit much. You thought so? It was real low and real gravelly. I think it was great because he just hadn't talked in so long. I guess that's You've true. Been He's totally been alone. In an abandoned neighborhood in Detroit. I guess you're right, man. You know, firing up a car that hasn't been started oh, for right. years. Apparently he's a playwright as well, which is kind of fun. I mean, great. People Didn't know that. do interesting things. All right. Yeah, what would you rate this movie? Um, I would give this movie a, an 8.5. I really enjoyed it. I mean, Fetty Alvarez is one of the new modern horror masters. Sam, what do you think your wife gave this film? Um, what did you, what did she say? She said 8.3. Oh. Which, I mean, surprisingly. Can I change mine? 
<laughs> what, you want to beat her or go down? <laughs> I don't care. All right. I mean, I, I'm going to give it a solid 8.5. Is that what you said? Yeah. Of course I'm giving it an 8.5. I've been waiting this movie for a very long time. I heard great things out of South by Southwest. I love Fetty Alvarez. I hate children in yeah. movies. That could have ruined my experience. Maybe one of my theatrical horror highlights of my life. Really enjoyed this movie. Fetty, I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, yeah, I give it an 8.5. Yeah, this was this was a special movie. And this has been our review of Don't Breathe. Please go see this movie in the theater. This is a game-changing film. Yeah. This will turn someone into a horror fan or make them vomit and scream and run out. Both of which could happen simultaneously. Very fun things. Uh, I want to know what you thought of this movie. Tweet us at Fright Day on Twitter. Let us know. Yeah. I, there's another place where people could talk to us about uh, about this movie uh, other than Twitter, Sam. Oh, yeah. That half-empty, cracked-up chunk of concrete outside the bus station no, down no, the street. No, a different place. Our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Fright Day. Oh, I'm going to be down there by the by the bus stop. If you want to hang out by the stop, you can hang out with Sam there. But find like-minded individuals in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Fright Day. That's where we're going to be talking about this movie. People also talk about pretty much everything scary there. We're going to have a good discussion about serial killers i'd imagine yeah uh, another place where we brag about the things that we buy that are horror related instagram at fright day as well it's like the second biggest asshole thing next to posting food pictures that's pretty close but if you do like that check it out and if you like this show and want to help us make it even better you can grab something spooky at shop.frightday.com or you can get an exclusive shirt at patreon.com slash fright day that's only available for i think a couple more weeks honestly and it's an awesome shirt speaking of patreon sam yeah you guys, we're humbled and in so much gratitude. Uh, we met our $300 a month goal from our Patreon patrons. Thanks to all of you, in particular, Daniel and Justin, who gave until it hurt. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, that's going to all go right back into the show here, into equipment, advertising to hopefully expand our listener base. And like I said uh, before in the Periscope chat, Byron uh, gambles heavily, so it'll probably <laughs> go to cover some of his debts. All right. I don't know about that. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. It really, really does mean a lot to us. And for your patronage, we give you that Periscope chat you mentioned. Not really much of a gift, but it's I'm just glad you guys out. hang out. We can talk about pretty much whatever you want during that before we record the shows. I know that things have been sporadic and they're going to continue to be a little bit weird, but we're going to make sure to hang out with you. You can also get access to exclusive episodes of Captain Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. I think there's six of them now. Yeah, a lot of content. So if you're all caught up on this show and you're craving more, I think the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash fright day and donate anything and you get access to those episodes. Most helpful of all, though, leave a review for us on iTunes. That's the best way to get us in front of new eyes up the charts. This person did just that. GB Chin. Uh, subject, Cabin Boys Unite. Uh, I know... Huh. I know Byron and Sam will love the title. Ha ha. I've been listening to the podcast for several months and it's easily my favorite one. I flew through Aww. all of the episodes and have listened to them multiple times. Always looking forward to the next episode and recommending the podcast to people who aren't even into horror. Hands down, my favorite part of the program is Callie's Cryptids and Conspiracies. I'm pretty biased, but I've been into paranormal and conspiracy since I was a kid. Long live Art Bell. Wow, that was really nice. Very nice of you to say all those great things. I so really you. appreciate that. Yeah, man. Cool listeners. Cool listeners. 
I don't know what we're watching next, Sam. Kelly's not here, so we could pretty much say we're gonna oh, watch wow. whatever we want. Yeah, let's let's slaughtered vomit dolls. Slow torture puke porn. That's great. I think we've got a couple of theatrical films coming out. Blair Witch is coming out in the next couple months. That'll definitely be on our docket. Morgan, that sci-fi horror film, looks a little bit like Ex Machina, we might check mm-hmm. out. But there's also a handful of titles on VOD. We'll have to see what we come up with. But if you want to know first, follow us on Twitter at Fright Day. Sam, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Sam Fright Day, Instagram, Sam underscore Milo Dragovich, and email me, Sam at FrightDay.com. And Kelly? Hi, I'm at Kelly Fright Day on Twitter. Email me, Kelly at FrightDay.com. And uh, I mean, we're doing a, a special episode of uh, True Tales of Terror. I mean, what, what, what do you want from our listeners, Kelly? Oh, boy. I'd like stories about... Um, you know, just weird shit that doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Uh, strange things that never happen. Sure. And uh, other phenomena that violate the basic laws of the universe. And send those stories to Kelly at FrightDay.com, right? Yeah, that'd be great. And I'm at Byron McCoy. Byron at FrightDay.com is my email address. Go check out Don't Breathe as soon as possible. And until next Fright Day, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. Okay. And I'm Sam. Remember to breathe. <laughs> <laughs>